y'all. Welcome to season six. Season six of This Most Unbelievable Life. I'm Sherry Spiegel. I'm Paul Fitzgerald. We're glad you're here. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hmm. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon, Dr. Spiegel. You were about to lie. I was. I don't know where good morning came from. Uh, was good, like, good morning, mo- Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. Good afternoon, Dr. Spiegel. How are you today? I'm pretty good. How are you, Dr. I'm doing, Fitzgerald? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Pretty uh, well. A lot of talking so far uh, yeah. this week, I think probably from both of us. So that's a little bit of an adjustment. It, talk talk more in the last couple of days than I have in the in the last couple of couple of months, I think. So Yeah. I was thinking about that this morning because uh we're back in the swing of things. So I taught my class mm-hmm. this morning. And I do think that I project my voice in a different way when I'm on Zoom versus when I'm teaching in the classroom, uh, which is very interesting. Um but I taught my class this morning and had been on Zoom a lot yesterday. And I noticed after I was finished with my class, towards the end, my voice was trailing off. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, hmm, I'm done teaching. But Paul, Paul is in the middle of teaching. Not. And we'll yeah. have to keep cooking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have to do th- some things once again to take care of our voices, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And um, I mentioned earlier when we were talking, when we were not recording it, which listeners, we occasionally do, um, about how the, my very last class, they're a chatty group, and I couldn't be more thankful. They can mm-hmm. <laughs> they can carry some of the load of this spoken word thing in, in class, and I'm just kind of fine with that. So, um, yeah, a little more, a uh, little bit more attention being paid to, uh, to the vocal elements as we, uh, re, re callous over our vocal cords and things like that. And, uh, one of the things, um, I was sort of thinking about, um, when I was going through that was, uh, when, when you were talking about how you, you project, it's like, mm-hmm. I think I project the exact same way when I'm on Zoom in a class as I do when I'm in person in a class. It's like, why am I speaking to the back of the room? The microphone is literally two inches away from my mouth. It's like, why am I engaging in such a performance um, on Zoom here? It's like the microphones. Are not, it's like I'm not trying to project to the back row of the of the classroom. I'm trying to, but yet I still approach it vocally the exact same way, which is, which means yeah. it's like, you know, the microphone's right here. I don't have to, I don't have to be so, uh, spirited, so to speak with my voice. Um, I could do my That's, voice some phaser from some favors here if I didn't, uh, but then it just right. wouldn't be me. So I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I think one of the things that's really different is that when I'm on zoom, um, I tend to be sitting down versus mm. when I'm in the classroom, like I don't sit down. And mm-hmm. I think when I'm standing, I project better from like my diaphragm, like sure. you're supposed to. For sure. Um, and I think when I'm sitting down, like my throat's doing all the work. Yeah, it's all all you, all of our intestines are like pushed up into our throats, and so we can't yeah do any, do any so diaphragmatic breathing or anything like that. Yeah. So next time we record, we should do so standing up. Yeah, I'm down with it. Yeah, I was going to say, I usually teach on Zoom standing up. I have this little standing desk, which did me uh, some real solid favors 
uh, previously in this last year and a half or so. But yeah, I, I usually teach standing up because I, I, I'm, everything about it is different when I sit down. Mm-hmm. I feel lazy um, or something. It's like I would never in a million years teach class um, in a classroom sitting down behind a desk. But I have seen people do it. Oh, yeah. And it's like, how do they do that? It's like, I'm going to sit down at a desk and teach from there. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's just not my way. I don't know. I mean, everybody's got their own thing. I'm not saying that my way is great or their way is bad or anything like that. But I I see that and I'm like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Yeah. I mean, it's something like good for them, but not for me. I mean, even when I had this back injury for a while where it like physically was excruciating to stand. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and even while I was going through that, I stood during class because yeah. for some reason that was more tolerable. Um, but on Zoom, for whatever reason, I got used to teaching sitting down. Um, yeah. And so tomorrow I will teach my first class back live with human students in the room yeah, that quite... I am in. Um, so we'll see how that goes tomorrow. Yeah, the first one in a while. huh? Mm, something like a March, year and a half. March 2020. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, I finally took down my March 2020 calendar from my <laughs> office. Um, and, like, I I was just, I'm kind of redoing um, my office a little bit. Uh, you saw that the other day when you yeah, were yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like it needs, um, it's the same space, but there's something about it needs freshening up. So I just want, like, kind of some new experiences in that Um you contributed to freshening up my did, office, yeah. actually. Um, in, a, yeah. in a notorious and familiar way that I, I freshen up that office. It's mm-hmm. these magnetic letters that are on the book bookshelf, which um, I get great joy out of the fact that they act, you can see them from the hallway. So it's like whatever I put on there can be seen by people walking by. So I, I, I enjoy incriminating you and things. Yeah. Well, for that. a year and a half, my Scrabble tiles said... Leave my tiles alone, <laughs> Paul Fitzgerald. Yeah. They do not say that. What's anymore. it say now? It's like Paul is the shiz or something like that. Paul rules yo, I yes. think is what it says. Um, Paul Fitzgerald rules yo. Uh, for now, um, we'll yeah. see. I think I'm going to task uh, some of our shared students with coming up with a new message about Paul. Yeah, we got a few. And we'll see uh, We'll see some of our shared students um for the first time, mm-hmm. for the very first time ever, yeah, you know, in person. So that's exciting. Yeah, I feel like Friday, um, I've got a lot of students that I've taught a couple times before I, uh, in class on this Friday. And I feel like Friday is going to feel like a family reunion. In it some is. Ways. It is. So, uh, but alas, uh, what are we talking about today? I don't know, right? Um, you had mentioned uh, something that I guess I agree with as well a little bit, oh. right? Um, I might think about it using different words than you do a little bit, but um, we we do get in these themes a little bit, and I want to say they're seasonal, and sometimes they are, but they're not necessarily always. Where it's like we, if you look back at the titles and the topics of our podcast, they tend to sort of cluster out a little bit into into chunks. It's like. Um, we talk about this for a while and then we, we, we have this other, these other conversations and this other package of content sort of unlocks for us. And we, we do some podcasts about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you had mentioned that you're ready for something different. I am. Um, and yet it's 
part of what I'm struggling with is whether or not different is possible. Mm. So, right? Like, so uh, one of our first conversations, meaning you and me, not recorded, which we've referenced before, is this conversation about cycles. Uh-huh. And our podcast is seasonal. So we uh-huh. move through the motions of the seasons over and over. And I feel like um, I have these questions about, like, is is new really possible? Or are we always just kind of, like, mm. s- trapped within a spiral, but ultimately still just, like, yeah, everything's a circle, yeah. right? Do you know what I mean? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we want our lives to be linear because... That's what the calendar sort of does. And we, when we are, are born, we're small and then we get bigger and we don't shrink too much near the end and certainly not back to baby size, you know, um, mm-hmm. not, not to sort of be goofball about it though, but we so often find ourselves in the exact same situation we were previously, mm-hmm. you know, and we like to, you know, I was just thinking about this earlier when I was taking a walk, actually clearing my head after my lectures. Um, this whole notion that uh, we live in a progressive society and that we're able to learn from our mistakes. <gasps> we're not, I think. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the hypothesis that my life is a test of, I think. And that, you know, if nothing else um, defines our, our human society, it's that, you know, we keep doing the same things over and over again, not just bad things, good things too. I mean, we, we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, oftentimes to the exact same result, both good or bad, without really applying lessons of history right. to any part of it whatsoever. And, and there are fantastic examples of that that I can talk to. Benefit concerts, they always raise millions of money for a particular cause. It's like, and people are saying, yeah, it's whatever the flavor of the month is. It's like, yeah, but that flavor of the month gets really good treatment. You know, mm-hmm. um, people can find ways to raise a lot of money for good causes, you know, in, in a variety of ways. Live Aid, Farm Aid, you know, there's Live Aids every year now, right? And that raise a huge amount of money for good causes. Counterpoint, Afghanistan. How many... Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many different nation states, conquerors, emperors, whatever, have attempted to, you know, hold Afghanistan to great pain, suffering, and ultimate failure? You know, it's like all, all, all of them so far, mm-hmm. you know, all of them so far. <laughs> so it's, it's like it goes both ways. It's like we just don't learn the lessons of history. And so there's this cyclicity. It's like so the cyclicity part is like it's not why do they always have the same outcome? It's like why do we keep finding ourselves in the same situations over and over and over again? There must be a repetitive cyclical element that it's the basis of this whole thing. Right. We keep learning from our same mistakes. Yeah. Right? Like, right. yeah, every time we make the mistake over and over again, we, we do learn from it, but we don't learn not to make the mistake. We don't learn to not make it. We learn to recognize it when we make right. it Right. It's kind of like, um, you know, I think I talk about this with Eric sometimes. I think you and I talk about this. Um you know, Eric and I have been together since 2000, right, and right, right, right. for the last 21 years, we've basically had the same three fights. Yeah, right. Over and over and over, and I think we're getting really good at them, but it doesn't mean we don't have the same fight. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. and you and I do too. Yeah, like, totally. I don't know. We don't really fight as much anymore. No, no, no. no. Are we due for a fight? You want to pick not. one? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, me too. I don't like that thing that you do. Me neither. See, perfect fight. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's all your fault. And I don't know why you don't blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Eh, I don't, it doesn't know. I don't seem... even know how to start fighting anymore. I find myself in them on occasion, but I don't know how to actually initiate one. Yeah. Which I guess is good. But right. Who knows? Yeah. yeah cycles. But... So, yeah, it's like, and that, that that's like, that's the human, that really is the human experience, isn't it? It's not. You know, because we like to think we're somebody and we're fancy. And it's like, I can use my big brain and I can learn from my mistakes to not repeat them. Oh, no, you will repeat that. <laughs> you know, it's right. like you learn to recognize when you did the same dumb thing over again. You know, when it had the exact same out predictive outcomes. Like, yep, that sounds a lot like what life is about. Right. To me. Well, and it's also just like, it's kind of this... I mean, it's ritual, right? Like, it's the number of things that we repeat for the sake of repeating them. Um, I think about when I get together with my, like, closest friends from high school. Um, What we primarily do is tell the same set of stories from high school. Yeah. Again and again. Um, My 20-year anniversary or reunion is coming up, and that's part of why I'm thinking about this. Um, So, you know, you get together with loved ones, family reunions... People come back together for the purpose of telling the same stories. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and so I, part of me is wondering, like, 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 it's such a cornerstone of the human existence to do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why? And, and, and how do we find the newness in the repetition? Yeah. Those are old. Um I think that's an old practice, though. I mean, every every culture has at its basis of its identity identity a set of stories, mm-hmm. you know, a set of tales, um, either true or fabricated. You know, um, the Icelandic sagas, um, for for example. You know, I, I just brought that one up because I have a book called the Icelandic Sagas, and it's like, all right, cool, that works. And it's like a collection of stories that are you know, the, the touchstone of Icelandic identity, but all cultures do not just the Icelandic Mm -hmm. ones. You know, one of the stories that um, was, was part of our family lore, as you will, as part of the Fitzgerald's, uh, whatever that represents is that uh, you and I have, I I have talked about this a little bit before. I don't know if I don't think I've done it on a podcast, but evidently we're part Cherokee because, you know, my great, 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 great grandfather had uh, some sort of relationship with a, a native tribeswoman in wherever they were at the time. And long story short, um, we are, we are part Cherokee. And then, I mean, everybody knew that. Everybody had accepted that. All the descendants of this person is like, yep, yep. Well, that really is neat. That's part of our identity that we're part Cherokee because of this. 23andMe disagrees with that, uh, (laughs) the factual basis of that story. Yeah, well. You know, it's like, I can assure you, there is no Cherokee here in this (laughs) We're just a bunch of white people from central Pennsylvania that worked right. their way across the United States and crash landed in southern Missouri in the middle yeah. of the hills where there's nothing but a bunch of rocks and trees and snakes. I mean, that's what it means to be, you know, every generation and a half, you pick up everybody and you move a little farther west until you find a place where nobody is in the middle of the country. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 the Fitzgeralds right there. I did pass uh, when I was in Pennsylvania the other day. Mm-hmm. I did pass. Fitzgerald Road. I'm not surprised. I'm I think surprised. I sent you a picture. Yeah. Not surprised. Yeah. 
And Fitzgerald Restaurant. Yeah, yeah. There's a Fitzgerald Cemetery in uh, Southern Missouri Mm -hmm. as well. Good old Iron County. Um, Yeah, but it's curious. I mean, there's no Cherokee though. Yeah, the stories we tell ourselves. (laughs) No Cherokee. Versus, I mean, what's interesting is 23andMe um, does tell me that I have uh, Native American um, or, well, indigenous blood, um, because it would probably be Native American as well as uh, Canadian, Native Canadian. Right, right. But the other thing that 23andMe tells me is that I am unlikely to have red hair. You know, yeah, mine tells me that I'm likely to have a bald spot. Hmm. Well... And, uh, listener, because this is a podcast, I will direct you toward some of the photographs of us that you may find on the website. You can't see the back of my head, but you can't see Sherry's hair. Her hair is red and my spot is bald. So <laughs> <laughs> what can, what can I say? Yeah. Um, but that tells you about genes as well. You know, they, they sort of work in this probabilistic way and sometimes you know, it happens. Um, mine also, my 23 me also says that, um, I'm likely to, not uh, t- uh, the cilantro genes, you know, but it's like it, mm-hmm. people say it tastes soapy. It's like I, that it was like I had like an 83% chance or something like that that I will not like cilantro. I love cilantro. I don't think it tastes weird and soapy. It's like I'm, I'm down with it. Totally. Maybe what that no really tells you is that you would like the taste of soap. <laughs> yeah, I need to eat more soap. Evidently, I've been missing mm-hmm. out. Um, have you ever ate soap? I have not. Uh, your parents used different uh, training mechanisms. They did. Mine. They did. Uh, they did not take pull from the Christmas story rule book where you wash your mouth out with soap. My mom would say that she would, but it's like it never happened. Nobody ever in my family had their mouth washed out with soap. I don't even know what that means. So I had one day. Um, I only remember this happening once. Um, my brother and I both got it. It was in my old house, so it would have been before I was the age of seven. And I just remember getting like i think my mom literally cut off a piece of zest soap uh, which is why i still like get a little nauseous when i smell zest um and yeah we just had to stand there in the kitchen with it in our mouths for a little while i think it probably only happened once because i think i threw up yeah and that becomes more trouble than it's going to eat yeah i mean it's not FDA approved for consumption, you know? I mean, it's not a a thing that you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, generations of parents have done that. Why? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's just a thing you do. do. Clean that dirty, those words coming, you know, I don't know. Um, Not part of our family lore, though, but we do have some. And, um, well, then it became part of that commercial, right? Like, dirty mouth, clean it up. Clean it. Yeah, yeah, right. Not with soap, but with gum. But with gum. Yeah, but the stories that hold our cultures together, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, thinking back, you know, I'm not I'm not one to frequent the high school reunion or anything like that. But there are these legendary stories um, that come up that, that tie us together. And I mean, whenever I see a student that I haven't seen in quite a long time, a former student, oftentimes it's like, hey, remember that time when blah, 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 you know, and it's like telling these stories to reunite because it, it, it taps into something deep mm-hmm. as part of our shared humanity. Where it's like, yes, we we shared this moment of humanity together and it's a touchstone in our perceived identity or our purpose in this life or what it is that we are trying to do. And uh, we can ceremonially ceremonially celebrate the remembrance of that. Mm -hmm. 
you know. So I think anybody has their stories like that. I mean, we could we could do a poll of the listeners, or, or you know, ask the listeners to send them in. What's a good story that you have um, that is part of your cultural or familial identity? That is a kind of the stuff that the ties that bind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's so. There, I think you're right that there is some comfort, there's some self-soothing in these old stories, right? Like, but it makes me wonder, you know, I'm sure even our listeners can, could tell stories, some of them about us, like that, oh, know, yeah. like, ah, remember that time we blah, blah, blah. Um, but it makes me think about, like, how much time we spend telling of the past or anticipating the future. And how much of that is like our ritual to where how do people come together and have a conversation that is truly of only the moment they're in? That's a good question. Um, that's a good question. Um, and I'm, I'm still thinking about uh, a little bit the stories that we that we tell. I think part of it might be or part of it could be. Um, it's like when we all get together and tell these stories, it's like, are we um, fact-checking? Mm. That actually happened, right? You know, we're going <laughs> to – it's like, remember that thing in third grade? We actually did that. You know, like, remember, oh, yeah, okay. I didn't make that up. Awesome. Because, you know, I think that's part of the nature of our brains is just like to come up with, you know, weird weird stuff sometimes. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. comforting to know that other people had the exact same experience that we did. And that they remember it and that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, no, I, yeah, I remember that. That was great. It's like, awesome, awesome, awesome. It's like one of the few um, spikes you can put in the ground of a, of a shared experience that can serve as like a touch point of, of who we are and that we're, we actually do things with other people. Right. And maybe it's partially a function of how memory works. Like we, we will lose a lot yeah. of memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at what point? Does that ritual help us to, if we don't remember what happened, we at least remember remembering? Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, it puts a pin in the board. It's like, okay, yeah. there was this, this time, this place, this still moment. This is a node on the network of of, of fluctuating, bendy time and memory where it's like, at least we, we can all agree on this. We can all mm-hmm. agree on this thing right here, right? And if, and we might have disagreements about the details. Of, you know, one person said it was Bon Jovi and somebody else says, no, it was Duran Duran. It's like, yeah, but we went to a concert, right? It's like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we, you know. Um, right. So that's kind of that's kind of fun um, to, to sort of think about it that way as, as well. Um, when we talk about the past and when we try to anticipate the future and have conversations about that, um, I mean, the past is one thing, you know, talking about, future is a, is a, is a whole different thing. I think it's a different set of, I think it's different parts of the brain. I think it's different parts of the body. I think it's, it probably doesn't include too much body with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it didn't happen yet. Presumably, you know, to be experienced by the body and therefore remembered by the body. Um, you know, that the, the touch pointing of the, of the past and the anticipation of the future in conversation um, does make sense because it's like, what did I do previously and what am I going to do next? The only one that is missing from the conversation is the who am I now? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess the question to ask to really just have a conversation about the present moment would be, um, what am I feeling right now and how can I be with it? Mm-hmm. How does it want me to be with it? What am I feeling right now? 
And how do I want to be with that? Yeah. And I think, isn't that the thing that many of us spend a majority of our life running from? Yeah. Avoiding. Right. Totally. Yeah. Wantonly avoiding. Yeah. Like so much of our culture is built to help us avoid whatever is within us right now. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So in the novel, The Sparrow, um, they're, um, they're investigating an alien mm-hmm. like language um, and they're trying to figure out how to translate the alien language. Uh, I read a lot of sci-fi. Um, and so one of the things they talk about with that is how part of translation, uh, they start with songs and songs link up to tense like past, present, future, uh-huh. and how past tense uh, tends to be about regret uh, or, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, issues related to loss. Mm-hmm. And future tense tends to be related to desire and longing. Yeah. Um, but then they talk about how present tense tends to be about love. Um, and so I've been thinking about that, like, um, related to where we allow ourselves to be, um, longing for what's to come, uh, regretting what has been lost, but how often do we spend just like really camped out in loving the moment we're in? Yeah. It's tricky. It is tricky. Um, and, uh. I think that that camp out, right, in the moment that we're in is something that can be practiced. Mm-hmm. I think it's a skill set that people can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the entry point to it is, for a lot of folks, is really just the acknowledgement that that's something that you can actually do. You don't always have to be thinking about the past in anticipation for the future, right? Um it's like, yeah, we move through time in this way, whether it's a cyclical thing or that is a hard word to say, cyclical, whether it's a <laughs> cyclical thing or a linear one, who knows, mm-hmm. right? But we exist. It feels like time is moving forward. Is it? Is it, right? Or is that all just an illusory thing because we have a memory of the past and a brain that likes to make up potentiality from a set of circumstances, you know, um, time not to get too esoteric and weird here. So listener, I'll be done with this thread in a second. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) I, there, I just went to the future to give hope to people that something was going to be different pretty soon. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's like this whole notion that time actually moves at all could be completely fallacious. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be even perceived that way at all. It's like, what if you just kind of took the past and forgot about it? And you just kind of took the future and just sort of like, you know what? I'm just not going to think about that for a while. I'm really just going to see who I am right now. What's going on with me as I am right now? Um, and when you when you realize that you can actually shorten that, that window of, you know, I'm responding to this far in the past and I'm anticipating this far in the future down to a single point of who I am right now, everything really becomes clear, easy straightforward anxiety leaves mm-hmm. shame and regret vanishes it's like you're just sort of left with who you are yeah right now 
free of expectation, free of obligation, free of, of all this kind of, kind of stuff. And with the, with the freedom that brings is you are free to just respond to what's in front of you mm-hmm. as it is without judgment or, or resistance or anything. This is, yeah. like, right, this is me right now. And this is what, okay, cool. This is what I'm doing. Perfect. But doing that, it, it really is like a skill set that has to be honed. Um, yeah, it's like how do you how do you hone a skill set that's one of pers- how do you how do you hone a perspective as a skill set? Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting because so I think probably listeners on this podcast know that I uh, have a long history with anxiety. Um, and my anxiety really started manifesting yesterday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um and in the middle of that, like, I, I I was texting with Paul, and, like, I told you, like, oh, yeah, I'm having the anxiety. And you were like, have you been for a walk? Yeah, took a walk. <laughs> right? And, 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 and that makes sense, right? Because, you know, things like a walk are often a really good place to cue me back into yeah. being in my body. And I did. I went for a walk. And I got about almost the entire way down my street which is about a four minute walk or so. And by the time I got to the end of the street, I realized that I had not looked at anything but the ground the entire way. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is because I wasn't in my body. I wasn't in the moment I was in. Um, I was like, just all of my attention was on my anxiety. Yeah, and right how I didn't want to feel what I was feeling and I wanted uh, to numb or to run away or, and not even to name what I was experiencing, just to be out of it. Right. Um, right. And so then when I realized you haven't looked at the world around you um, and I just looked up and started experiencing like being in the moment I was actually in, mm-hmm. um, it is really difficult for me to look up and see trees and birds and sky and stay close to my anxiety. Like it's a conscious choice. Like you can choose to be in the moment in nature or I can choose to be in my head. Um, But as soon as I pay attention to the world around me, um, I have to turn down the volume on my head. Yeah, right. Right. And is that um, just sort of making the choice to to generate the circumstances that can cause a shift like that, do you think? You know, I don't want to, I don't want this to come, maybe I do want this to come across as being prescriptive. If you're feeling anxiety, take a walk and look around, <laughs> reground yourself. And, you know, it's like, maybe I am telling people that I'm not sure, but it's like, if you it's and I, I don't want people to think that it's sort of a hack, you know, to to sort of get get out of an anxious state. You know, anxiety is informative, it, it, but it also can be unproductive. Yes. Um. Well, I mean, that's the thing is. Um, There's room for it, discernment within that anxiety. You know. Yeah, I mean, what I'm not saying is, and then I looked up and saw a beautiful bird, and then she was anxious no more. Everything right? was fine, yeah. Because it was still, like, I was out walking for, you know, a good half hour, and it's not like it was a blissful walk of blah, blah, blah. Like, um, 
it was an exercise in moving back and forth between states of mind. Yeah. And, um, you know, the anxiety is telling. And it actually took me until this afternoon uh, to get to a place where I could say, okay, um, I'm ready to hear what you're telling me. Mm. Um, and And that's, you know... I am at that place where I can do that now after, um, you know, 38 years of having anxiety, right? right? Like, um, and I still don't fully understand it. Um, Some of it, I'm just not going to know yet. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, but being willing to say, I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to self-medicate. I'm whatever. I'm just going to be in it. It's a hard choice. It's a hard choice, you know, and that's not to say if if someone is just starting to take a crack at this that you need to 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 dive in and try to generate anxiety and then it's like beat yourself up for, right? There's no there's no reason to unnecessarily punish yourself. You know, if if it's something that is to be um to be worked with and experimented with in terms of like how might I you know, mindfully and consciously respond to anxiety when it arises. Just wait for it to rise next. It will. You know, yeah. you don't have to. Ge- you don't have to go out of your way to generate it. You know, if you, if you don't necessarily want to. There are some mindfulness exercises where you can. You know, th- put yourself in not in times and places, but put yourself into into mindsets that can be challenging to see what what happens as a result of them. I'm not saying that anxiety be, would be one of those things. You know, um, right off the right off the bat. If you're if we're suffering from anxiety, though, it's like it, it can arise on its own. And there's some things we can do to start this mindset shift a little bit before it does arise that, you know, might be might be helpful if, if it does arise when it does arise, if you can remember them, because mm-hmm. that's part of the trick too. you know, anxiety oftentimes demands our full attention, mm-hmm. you know, at the expense of uh a note that you wrote down over there that says what to do, <laughs> what to experiment with the next time it arises. I mentioned the walk just because it's like, uh, I don't know. Um, I get kind of twitchy sometimes when I feel a little bit of anxiety. You know, it, it's a way for the the physical motion that wants to happen to be expressed. You know, uh, it, you move a little bit. I mean, movement usually it doesn't make it worse. You know, it's, it's something to do. It gives nervous energy a chance to dissipate a little bit. Um, you can feel your body moving through space, your feet on the ground. Uh, never a bad thing. Exercise Mm -hmm. never hurts, you know, anything. It's something to do, um, where you feel like you're actually doing something between now and the time when you might get some clarity on something, oxygenate your brain a little bit through some motion Mm -hmm. and some breathing, you know, exercise can help with that. Right. So it's all just little things like, all of this can be achieved through a walk. You know, it's like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a one, not a cure all, but it, it's a, it's a one activity that can check a couple of boxes that might make things a little bit not easier, but um, present, presently yeah. tolerable. Sort of why why it happens. There's other stuff we we can do as well, but you know, walking was always a good thing for me. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, in my experience, and I think we've talked about this enough for you to know, like. It's not, I, I don't think I've ever gone for a walk and regretted it, yeah, right? right? Like, I've been right. like, well, that was, I shouldn't have taken you know. that walk, you know. That walk was a bad idea, you know. It's like, I, right, I like, um, well, it couldn't hurt, right? Yeah, right, um, right, right. 
So, I mean, a lot of times, even if it doesn't check off the anxiety box, it checks off some other box. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, you know, part of it is um, just, you know, one of the things that I've been kind of working through is just noticing like, oh, okay, so it's showing up. And I had a few signals. It's my anxiety is a little bit like migraines um, Mm. in that. A few days before it's really there, it, it gives me little signs. Right, right, um, right, right. So I knew it was on its way. And it's like, I almost feel like I need to start treating it like an out-of-town visitor. Like, mm. oh, they've told me they're coming. How do I prepare for them? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, um, it is sometimes, I think, with anxiety, when you're in it, um, you don't always remember the check down list. No, um, you don't. No, you don't. You know, and it's sometimes it's uh, the most basic of reminders of like, hmm, have you considered water? Right. Like, have you right. drank it? Have you been by it? Right. Have you right. have you let it pour upon your head? <laughs> you know, like, um, but, uh, you know, anxiety is one of those things. It's not a new story for me. Um no. But it is one I learn from every time I walk through it. Yeah. Yeah. And as uncomfortable as the anxiety might be, it's it nobody wants to feel anxiety. I, I think I think I can pretty safely say that. It's it's not something that we look forward to. Ooh, I'm really looking forward to being anxious about, you know. Um I don't think I don't think very many people have said that. Um but there's things that can be done, I think. If the if it's seen from the perspective of the objective of is is not to make the anxiety go away, right? Um, if if the if the objective is to make the anxiety go away, you know, then there's going to be possibly resistance to the anxiety, self medication of the anxiety, whatever that whatever form that takes, you know, um, some self flagellation about the anxiety to begin with you know, some self-punishing of, of, you know, of that. It's like the objective is not to beat the anxiety into submission or to completely numb it out, you know, mm-hmm. which are the easiest ways to make anxiety go away, you know, in the very, very short term, you know, the downside is the one who pays the price is not the anxiety, it's you. It's the one who right. does not have anxiety that pays the price for that behavior and that response, right? Al- alternatively, you know, I think you're, I think you're, you're absolutely doing the right thing. Okay. I'm feeling anxiety. Um, what is what is what what do I what does it want me to do? What is the need here mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed? Um, something's clearly working through me here, um, and it ain't particularly fun. You know what's what's going on here? And if we can just sort of pause for a moment and realize that we're still alive, it hasn't killed us yet. You know, therefore, it might not in the next five minutes. Um, what happens if I just sort of paid attention for it a second and gave it some opportunities to express itself a little bit in, in productive ways that are not, not destructive ways mm-hmm. that, um, giving it, it's, it's like, um, it's like art. It's like art. You know, um, I was talking with my class about this earlier today. Uh, how do you be creative? You know, and and it's like, it depends on what you're doing. If you want to do creative writing, you know, you can walk around the block all day long 
and, you know, feel like you're creative, but you're not creatively writing because you haven't written anything. Mm-hmm. Part of it requires uh, sitting down with a pen and a notebook or at a keyboard or at a typewriter if you're old school. It's, you know, creating those conditions that allow the the art to in, in craft to em- emerge. Painting. Mm-hmm. It's like if you want to do some painting and you want to do some creative painting and some creative expression through painting – not a bad idea to get some paint. Mm-hmm. You, know? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't, this anxiety wants to do something, but I don't know what it is. Taking a minute, pausing, breathing, not running from it, just sort of, I'm going to do a couple of things that might give this anxiety the opportunity to express itself in a way that tells me what it wants is not a bad idea. You know, um, Mm -hmm. let's, I'll start by taking a walk. Maybe I'll take a shower. Maybe I'll get, drink some cold water and and eat something. Maybe hunger is not helping, you know, Mm -hmm. just, just twiddling with a couple of things that you can actively do simple little things that might bring, that might serve as a flashlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking about anxiety as something within me that needs attention, that needs tending to. Um, and coming at it in the way I would come at a human in my life who's experiencing anxiety. Yeah, like, right. I wouldn't see them as their anxiety. Um, and I like some of the things that I do to myself and it's not just anxiety, right? Like, um, I think we're living in a world where shared anxiety is pretty prevalent. So I think lots of listeners probably have some experience with some sense of anxiety anxiety um but it's i think it's true of other sensations we try to get rid of like um anger guilt um shame all of these things like beating yourself up for feeling the thing is not going to get rid of the thing um i think that there's there's something to making making friends with whatever is yeah in you um and so that's part of, um, you know, yesterday I took myself for a walk. Um, you know, the first five minutes of it might have been me staring at my fe- feet thinking, whatever, Paul, I'll go for a walk, but I still have anxiety, <laughs> right? And then, like, looking up and realizing, okay, this isn't about Paul. This is about no, whatever's not, happening in me, yeah. right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but... And then I got home and I was like, cool. Uh, yeah, whatever it is, it's still there. Um, and then I ended up doing some cooking because that's the other thing a lot of times like that does me a lot of good in ways that I can't explain. But yeah, I'm just right. losing myself in creating some food, which is also delicious. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, that. That's good, too. That's good, too. That works. You know, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with that. Um, right. Yeah. And it... Um, you know, it took me it took me quite a bit of time. Um, I had a meeting I had to go to, not had to go to, but I had um, a meeting last night that I was, you know, um, feeling some kind of way about. And it's a positive experience, but mm-hmm. it's also new and there's much to process. Sure. Um, sure. So, you know, sometimes when I'm in that kind of space, the anticipation of something like that can just flare up every flag within me. Yeah, um, for sure. And so sometimes it, 
you know, the biggest thing I needed was to be kind to myself and just understand, I get it. You don't really want to go do this thing, but you're going to go do you're it. You're going to go do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and right. you're going to be gr- glad you did, yeah, right? Because yeah, you're right. a person who does what you say you will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting what happens what when you just try to get a little patient with the worst sensations within you. Mm-hmm. It's like just pause for a moment and, okay, this is where we are you know, reground in time and space and, and sort of go from there as, yeah. as our best selves. That is, it's like, okay, I have a body. I, I think about stuff. Um, I feel stuff. And right now there seems to be something going on. Let's maintain awareness of that and then sort of make our best decisions kind of from there. I mean, I'm 50. I mean, I've been around the block a, twi- a time or two. Which is something that I do enjoy saying a lot lately is that I'm 50 because it, it, it does something to me that feels good. I'm not sure what. And it's like, it, I don't know if it's like giving me excuses, you know, to kind of do a slack. I don't know. But it's like, well, when you're my age, when you're 50, I don't know. I'm 50 now. Um, I use it as an excuse more than anything for even things that aren't happening. But um, it's 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 curious Though, because I mean, even being, you know, 50 being around the block, you know, we, we both have lived decently length, interesting lives, and we will continue to do so uh, to the in- interminate future. Um, it's still scary to do new stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about this last week, you know, it's like, oh, man, I got this meaning because I mean, when I was going through, you know, the the two year program, the, the mindfulness meditation teacher training program that I went through. Those meetings were like, oh, man, I really don't want to do this. What's going to happen? And, of course, it was fine. Mm-hmm. It was fine, you know. But it's like, ah, you know, it's like I, I have this thing I need to do and we're going to feel the feels. And I hope I don't say anything dumb. And uh, I, what, how do I even get myself into this mess? Mm-hmm. What am I doing here? You know, and all that stuff sort of comes up. And it does, you know, result in, in some anxiety does kind of pop up. You know, do that. Does it feel good? And it's like it's just easier to quit. And it's like it's. I don't want to. Oh man, this is not comfortable. And how did I get? Why did I do this to myself? And then you do the thing, and then it's fine, and it's great. And then you you do it again, and oftentimes to circle back to circling, um, in cycles. It's like, and then you feel the exact same thing next month when you do it again. It's like, oh man, why did I get myself into this? Yeah. I'm really nervous. Yeah, I'm getting really anxious about this. Oh, why did I say yeah? And then you do it and it's fine. And it's like, it's the craziest thing. It's like, God, you don't have to tell me to be anxious every damn time. It's like, I know we're going to live through it. Um, (laughs) But we don't, again, just also circle back. We don't want to beat ourselves up for it either. It's informative. Is that anxiety? I want to do well and represent myself well. Is it this thing is really important to me? Um, And it's 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 strange to actually be actively engaged in doing something that's important to us and so there's anxiety moving into it you know mm-hmm. so i'm i'm still after 50 years you know i i wouldn't say that i have strong or profound or recurring anxiety but you know there is anxiousness in in things um usually predictable right um mm-hmm. students say that they get anxious before um before the very first, before the class meets for the same time uh, and I was like, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know, it's like, I, I, I do as well. You know, um, the one thing that I absolutely cannot think about or else I'm just going to get lost in a, in a, in a, 
in a forest of anxiety is I'm actually the one teaching the class, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, good Lord, if they even knew they would run for the hills. Um, right. Your teacher's anxious too. So we're all going to be anxious together and we're going to do our best. And that's comforting and for everyone when that comes out that it's like, you're anxious. Well, so am I, we're all anxious together. So let's, let's get through it and address what's in front of us, honestly. And what, and, and, and in a way that acknowledges what's fully present, what's there with who we are, with what we're trying to do and however it is that we're trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like just knowing that, that anxiety still comes up, you mm-hmm. know, it, it still shows up. And it's like, so it's not that you're going to solve this problem and then you're never going to have anxiety again. I'd say that that's not even a stretch goal. I'd say that's almost an impossibility. I would also like to say that we're not talking about acute panic attacks either. That's different. Yeah, no, those are different. Yeah, those are different. So um, we're, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be mindful to not confuse the two. That's, oh, that's yes. a that's a different situation. Yes, I've had those too. Um, that's not what I was looking at yesterday. Yeah, uh, yeah or yeah. today, but thankfully, yeah, absolutely. Thankfully. Um, I also think like it reminded um, what you're saying reminds me a little bit of where we started, just like our ritualized storytelling, like, um, you know how often when anxiety starts popping up or that little bit of like nerveroni, not yeah, even right. anxiety, um. How much, like, instead of charting into new tour ter- territory of conversation, um, when we start to get a little antsy in the c- conversation, we go back to the old stories because we know how they're going to play out. We know our role within those stories. Um, and so it can be soothing. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, what happens when you ask someone a question you've never asked them before and you just wait to find out what they say? Um, I think. You know that can be a little, that can be a little dicey. Um, it can of be, course, for sure. that is that is the thing we choose to do while recording like yeah, we every do. week. <laughs> but I mean, I think you and I have both. I, I I say you and I have both said this before. I don't think it's you. I think it's just me. It's like I don't know. Do you want to like come up with some topics and plan these things out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, God, we got to spin the wheel every, t- you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's always fine, you know, and I, I, I trust that and I rely on that and it is, yeah. you know, but there is some, there is some, some comfort to be had and engaging in the familiar. That's for sure. That's for sure. You know. Yeah. I mean, every now and then I feel like I want to plan out, um, our podcast topics, but I also know, like, I mean, you know what happens when we do that. Yeah. The moment comes and we talk about what the whatever the hell we want. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. what do you think you're gonna boss Paul Fitzgerald around? Come yeah, on, please. Paul doesn't even boss Paul Fitzgerald around. Yeah, yeah. some spreadsheet isn't gonna tell us what we're gonna talk about. Self rebel on the on the on the daily. Yeah, that's for so. sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, what does one do? Uh, we talked about this earlier as well. Uh, sometimes we come up with plans. Which is probably, you know, or a for not, not I wouldn't say a formula, like a plan or an intention or whatever it is. Um, probably out of self-soothing, right? To mm-hmm. like, you know, at least give us some sort of framework on what's gonna happen so we're not just kind of like, just kind of totally going into something totally totally cold and 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 bare, so to speak. And then you get into the situation that you've prepared for with this self-soothing action of getting things ready 
with expectation and anticipation. And then he's like, you don't do them anyway because the situation is not what you thought it was and you you sort of pivot quickly and do something else. Um, do we celebrate our ability to recognize what's happening around us and pivot? Or do we uh, think that we did a bad job because we didn't stick to what our plan was? Dr. Spiegel. I feel like you're cheating because <laughs> we've had a conversation that wasn't recorded um, that like... Mm. You're playing off current, current pre-existing knowledge, yeah, my friend. Like yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I don't know. You and I have a particular kind of podcast, and we teach particular kinds of classes, and I think it's because we're a particular kind of people. Yeah, I agree. I agree and so one of the things that I know is that for a long time, I spent a lot of time trying to be very in control and very structured uh, and very organized because I thought it would make me feel better. Um, and so I really like designing pretty well-structured things um, because I think they're soothing. But I also know that who I actually am can't live within those things. Right. Um, so I'm always at a tension point between those two things. So... I am a much happier person when I stop trying to make everything pretty and predictable and instead live within the pivot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like if I, you know, if we plan out this podcast, I'm going to be anxious the whole time. Yeah, right. You know? Right, right, when, right. When we record our season openings and we have a script, I am never more anxious. <laughs> Than I am when we're trying to do that. If you like, have a script, you can do it wrong. If you don't yeah. have a script, you can't. <laughs> Everything you do is a win, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, we're like, when we don't have a topic or we don't have a script, like the goal is no dead air. And that's even a false goal because yeah, right. you could take the dead air out. Right? Like we could pause and just stare at each other at any minute and no yeah. one would ever know. Yeah, no one would ever know. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating um, when I am in Zoom meetings uh, using technology. And it's like the technology predisposes the – so in some ways, in theory, what is supposed to be happening there. It's a podcast. If we're not actually talking, what – exactly are we you know is, is what because uh, that's that's what the medium medium is zoom is for you know live video and audio of a person in in front of you and mm -hmm. if you're just sitting there not saying anything then you're not actually using the technology for what it's sort of quote unquote for but i've been in and you have too right in some of the some of the workshops that you and I have offered where we're all on zoom, not saying anything sometimes with cameras off, but it's open and it's there mm -hmm. just because we're not, we're not trying to say a, a vocal or a visual point. It's about, you know, engaging in shared connection and zoom lets you do that with people that mm -hmm. are far away, mm -hmm. you know, despite the technology, you can connect with people on zoom. Right. And um, I, I have some disagreements with people who say that you, you can't. And I was like, I've, I've not experienced that myself. Um, you have to be comfortable with silence. Mm -hmm. And that's hard work for a lot of people. It was hard work for me. It, but it, it's a skill that can be, be sort of practiced. 
which is a good thing. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I desperately, I desperately want to be something. I, I desperately want to be somebody that is able to plan things and then have those things that I plan go the way that I plan them because it seems <laughs> like it would be a lot easier. <laughs> it would just be a, so great if it went that way. Uh, and to my, to my grave, I will resist the fact that I'm not, I'm just, I just don't do that. I just don't do that way. You know, it's like every time I've ever tried to do that, it hasn't worked out. Why do we even bother? You know, um, then I feel like, why did I waste all my time trying to plan for this thing? It never goes the way that it does. I really want to be somebody that can do that. It seems like it'd be so much easier. Um, I don't see the life of people who can do that being significantly better than mine. Uh, but everybody's got their own way, you know, and some folks do that and some folks don't. And I'm, I, I just don't seem to be one of them. I am curious about whether those people exist. All the Arist- all Do you think they might all be suffering uh, as much as uh, we are when we try it? We're just quitters? I so. Well, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I think... Let's see. I don't know. I might need to think about this to try to figure out what I think is actually true. Hmm. But... I think most communication occasions, most occasions where you're with other people, if you have a plan and you stick 100% to the plan, you aren't engaged with the other humans. Mm. Right? Mm. Like you you can pu- you can pull off a successful monologue. But you have no way of guaranteeing that anything will happen but you getting to the end of your monologue. Right. Right. And, like, what worth does that have? I don't know. I just think um, most of the time when I throw out my plan, it's because I've realized the plan is getting in the way of the purpose. Mm. And the purpose being? Humans. Hmm. Right? Like, yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I took this nonviolent communication class recently about the importance of interrupting. Hmm. Um, and I've been thinking so much about how interrupting is, we, is the least rude thing you can do. Hmm. That is counter to what we're taught as children. Yes. Yeah. That's counter to, yeah. Because what's the purpose of interrupting? Uh, Having had a little NVC myself, uh, I'd like to, you know, I, I could, I could give some thought on that, but you know, it seems to me, what's the purpose of interrupting? Pause and let me make sure that I'm clear. Yeah. Hang on a second. Let me catch up. Whoa, 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 hang on. But do you mean, you know, this kind of thing? Those are the situations in which I could imagine myself. I always feel, eh, I'm always hesitant to do it though, because don't interrupt was hardwired into me um, by threat of having my mouth washed out with soap, although it never actually happened. Yeah. Well, because I think in that narrative, don't interrupt because my monologue 
is preferred without you. Right. So there goes connection. Well, I mean, the whole basis of modern Western education is, is rooted in removing the humanity from your students before you even start. Sit down. Don't say anything. Eyes forward. Columns and rows. You know, don't pass notes. You know, it's like, let's let's remove the humanity and the connection from each other before we get started. And we can have a wonderful and productive class that lets me stick to my plan. Yeah. No wonder it doesn't work very well. Yeah. No wonder. I mean, Look where we start. Look where we start. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting, I don't know. So one thing I know about myself is that questions are my love language. Mm-hmm. And if you interrupt me to ask a question, like, yeah, that's the way to my heart. That's there, there it is. Right? But if I am listening to you and I stop interrupting, <laughs> we might be in trouble. Right. That's uh, that's a, that, that signifies something else. Right? And it, it doesn't mean... That whoever I'm listening to, like, it doesn't mean they're the problem. It it probably means something is going on in me. Right. Um, right. And I haven't gotten to a point where I can signal it. And I think it's also worth 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 noting that um, you being mansplained is different than interrupting with a question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> would you like to say right? more on that? No, well, I was, just, I was going to say, it's like just wantonly interrupting people, you know, uh, without without it being for a genuine cause that is recognizing humanity of the other person is not what we're. Yes. Yeah. Not what we're recommending here. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's interrupting with the intention to connect, not the intention to bring the attention to yourself. Correct. Right. Like um, it's about increasing the visibility between the two people. Not right. just stealing the the stage, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you know, I'm just thinking. It's like if 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 we're talking about interrupting people as something that might be okay to do, right? If done, you know, uh, in 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 noble pursuit and noble action with the connection of shared humanity, um, we want to make clear statements about. Oh yeah, yeah, when that is a, a yeah. good thing to do, and when uh, when when it's when it's just plain rude. You know? Well, and I mean. You know, I will sometimes say to my husband, like, you have no lines in this play, yeah. right? Like, there are times where um, I don't want interruption because I just, I need to process something and I want to get it all out there. Yeah. You know, right. there are times when, you know, I'm not going to go to a concert or to, a, you know, a piece of theater and interrupt them, right? Like, yeah. of course, this is interruption on a super micro scale, right? right. Like it's right. it's between two people. It's right. not, right. 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 you know, in the mi- middle of a conference presentation at an academic conference, you know, like, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, which happens I'd sometimes. I'd like to make this right? about, it, it, oh, I, I know. It, yeah, and it's, uh, it's always, you know, and those are, uh, <laughs> when that happens, that becomes a shared experience that people bond over later. Hey, remember when that guy interrupted that talk at the, <laughs> back at the conference in Seattle? Man, that was a show, wasn't it? You know, and it, yeah, it plays out yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate. Yeah, I think it's good that we make that distinction. Like, 
Um, stealing the show and interrupting yeah, to connect are different things. Yeah, those are different from each other. So I've never um, been surprised, I think, when in my classes with my students that they respond well to being seen and treated as a human. I've, I've never... I've never been surprised when they when they convey that message, and I'm always happy to provide that mm-hmm. as like the primary thing. It's like, no, that's what we're doing. Let's 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 acknowledge shared humanity first, and then if we learn something that somehow is related to the title of the course or the subject, then that's that's good too. Mm-hmm. That's good too. Yeah. But let's let's start with you know acknowledging shared humanity. Yeah, and uh. how that works. That's I was telling you earlier, I got the best answer from a student this semester mm. um, about how what a teacher does to help her learn most. Mm-hmm. And she said, they notice me. Um, and should that student ever listen to this podcast, I she knows I have noticed her now. Um, but isn't that the goal? Like, isn't that yeah, it? Right. Like, goodness. Um you know, so much of, I think, what it really means to be a teacher or just a compassionate human in the world is just to notice that you're not the only person there. Yeah, right. And that um, everyone else around you is as human as you are. Yeah. 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 Um, I've had a I've had a student last year who almost was was drawn to tears. Because I made the simple statement that we're all going to pause for a second and recognize that we're actual people. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been on Zoom for a year or whatever. You know, everybody feels disconnected. Everybody feels alone. Everybody feels isolated. I've stopped using the phrase social distance. Yeah. Right? No, I say physically distanced because we're not socially distanced. We're physically distanced. You know, um, the sociology looks different than it did before, maybe. But it's like, let's be clear on what this really is, you know? Um, but it's like just, you know, pausing for a second and saying, you know, I, I do, by the way, I fully realize and recognize and acknowledge that you are an actual person in that zoom screen and mm-hmm. we're going to treat each other like humans. Tears, tears. It's like, yeah. I've never had a professor do that before. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's interesting. Cause, um, for years when I was teaching, I don't know when I started doing this, but at some point when I really felt like I'd lost my classes, um, I would stop and invite everyone in the room to high five two people around them. Yeah. Yeah. And then we could continue. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, there's something about a high five, man. Bring you right back. Yeah. Bring you right back. Right. And so for the last year, I have existed in a pedagogy where the two people high five hasn't been possible. And I'm not sure what the Zoom or the physically distant equivalent of that really is. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, right, uh, the technology sort of drives the nature of that experience a little bit. So yeah, there's something we could do. I mean, we we turn on the cameras and wave. Maybe that's been the... That's okay. I mean, nothing beats a high five, though. It's true. Um. Popcorn favorite movies. What's our favorite movie? And then you go around and then you call in somebody else and then they say theirs and call in somebody else and they say theirs and call. Um, so many of the things that we try to do to connect with humanity are just so deep and heavy, you know, and they take up so much space, kind of. Um, lighthearted things work too. Mm-hmm. You know, high fives. What's your favorite movie? Popcorn style. Say your favorite movie and then call on somebody else. It helps you learn people's name in the class as well on Zoom. 
mm-hmm. which is which can be a challenge to to do. So again, it's like there there's a skill set here. There are things you can do. You know, I encourage folks to explore what those might be. You yeah. know, when when engaging with shared humanity and people, they don't always have to be heavy and deep. They can be light and fun, but mm-hmm. they take some intention. They take yeah. some intention. You know. Mm-hmm. Cool. There it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Uh, in a little bit, uh, might be this week, might be early next week. I'm not sure based on the timing of things. A newsletter is going to come out. Mm-hmm. Right, the next newsletter is going to come out. This will be our second one in two months, which means it's a it's We're an actual it. it's an actual thing. Yeah, that's good. Um, if mm-hmm. folks want to enjoy that arriving in their inbox in their email inbox, you can go to the website and you can sign up to receive that. And I think is this true, Sherry? If you go to the website, it pops up as a sign up for the newsletter. Just kind of when you go, it does. Yeah. Yes, easy to find. Um, easy to find. Yeah, uh, as long as I think. Basically, it'll only do it once a day to you. So if you go to okay. our website more than once a day, um, <laughs> bravo. <laughs> so those of you who are going five times a day, right? Uh, you know, I think that's sure just you, you and me first. based upon the uh, – I don't even go to our website. Yeah, I don't day. often either. I just want to post blogs and, and do some updating. Some you stuff know, funny you should mention posting uh, blogs. I'm down too, aren't I? I still got to get that thing posted. Mm-hmm. Sign up for the newsletter, folks. It's going to come out in a week or two. It's going to be fantastic. It might, might, it won't be out by the time this posts, but it'll be close, I think. Um, I'm doing a hard left turn pivot to divert away from this conversation about my blogs. And write um, to Paul and tell him you would sure like to hear the sure like blog or read blog. the blog he promised. Yeah. Con- Y'all, you know, we've been on vacation. Whatever. Yeah, and you know, alternating vacations. It was a challenge. Yeah, it's like we're we're all back now. So we're, we're about to fun. do that in September too. By the way. Yeah, we. But are. we'll get to that. Yeah. Later. Yeah, we'll get to that later. We like um, to take turns not being here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a uh, a new meditation that I'm working on. Kind of tucked away in there as well. I'll link to that. Um, an item or two of interest or import, or at least import to us that we want to let you know about. And it's going to be a, a decent little newsletter. So go ahead and sign up for that if you want to get it. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Boop, boop. Awesome. Cool. Cool. There we are. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Sherry. We're coming up on fall. So a couple of weeks left in summer, and then we're going to transition into season seven. So have a great night, Sherry. You too, Paul. See you, everybody. Bye bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Paul and Sherry have a Paul podcast. Paul podcast, yes. 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 Cool.